Walk with courage. It is so, I'm telling you, people, you know, back where I live in Texas, you know, they make fun of California and they talk about, you know, the, the left coast and all that kind of stuff. I'm telling you, the most courageous churches in America right now are in California. The most biblical churches in America are coming from California. You guys are leading the way. It is super, super encouraging. So I'm thrilled to be with you, and uh, what a great opportunity. What a wonderful worship service. I mean, look, I'm a child of the 80s. I feel like I just went to a Bon Jovi concert combined with uh, some kind of psychedelic thing with the, the, the videos, and it was, uh, man, it was amazing. Uh, I shouldn't ad- admit this. I mean, you know, typically for, for a pastor to allow a politician in the pulpit is unusual. Um, I'm, not, I'm actually a recovering politician, just so I can uh, tell you. I go to a Tuesday night meeting every week. Uh, get up and say, hi, I'm Rick, recovering politician. I am now four years clean off the ballot, just so you know. Kara's very happy about that. And, um, but but I, I shouldn't admit this. Mike, I don't want you to get nervous. Because I had a dream about you last night, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I dreamed. I don't know if it's because July 4th today and, and the fact that Thomas Jefferson and John Adams both died on the same day, the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, but but maybe that was what it was. But I dreamed that you and I um, died <laughs> uh, last night. And... Um, and, and we get to heaven, and, and we're getting the tour, and St. Peter's showing us around, and we get to this, you know, this little shack. I mean, it's nothing but a rundown deal, a little cot, a little desk, and he says, you know, this is going to be your home in here, Mike. And I'm thinking, man, if the pastor's getting that, I mean, what, 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 I, what am I going to get? Well, we go around the corner, big mansion, gold pillars, all that stuff, and he says, Rick, this will be your home. And I said, wait, 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 why does the pastor get that little shack, and I get this mansion? And he said, well, son, you haven't been here long. You don't know how it works. we got all the preachers up here we want. You're the first politician to ever make it. We thought we'd do something a little different. So, so it's very unusual that you would let me, let me be in your pulpit this morning. But um, listen, I think what we want is, uh, is fewer politicians and more patriots. Amen? There's a difference. A politician is only thinking about the next election. A patriot is thinking about the next generation. So we're making our policies. We're, we're investing in our kids. We're doing all those things thinking, wait a minute, what am, what am I doing as a steward of what God has given me, and am I passing that to the next generation intact? And that's the way we, we gotta start thinking. And first of all, I, I just gotta tell you, the joy in this room is amazing. I love the joy here. You guys get it, you understand our joy is not based on where we are, it's based on whose we are, right? And, and, and as important as it is what happens in the White House or the State House, it's not near as important as what happens in God's house, amen? And that's why you can have that joy, because regardless of how good or bad things are going in the culture, that doesn't determine our joy. We can, we can be happy warriors, amen, in, in whatever's happening out there. And I know it's been a crazy year and uh, in many ways a destructive year for, for our country, a very divisive year for our country. So there's been a lot of bad that's been, that's been happening out there. But I'm here to tell you, no matter how bad things look with your human eyes, hope is alive. God still has a plan for us. Our faith is not in the stock market. Our faith is not in, you know, another bloated COVID relief package, right? Our faith is in, in him. Our faith is that, that his word is true, that his promises are true. And so that's why we can still have, have joy regardless of what's happening out there. And I, I, I'm gonna be practical this morning, if you don't mind. I'm gonna get, in, you know, kind of into the down and dirty of where we are as a nation because I think we have to be eyes wide open. I, I don't think we can just be Pollyanna and just wave the flag and, and say, I, I'm proud to be an American and then hope everything works out. We gotta be very practical about this thing. And we, and we gotta start saying, what can I do to make sure that we can be proud to be Americans? What can I do to make sure that we're preserving this thing for the next generation? So we may not know what the future holds for America, but we do know who holds the future, amen? 
And so that's why we want that to be at the heart of whatever solution we talk about with regard to the ills in our nation. And the good news is all of the answers are in God's word. He gave us the answers. And, and, and I'm gonna start with what may seem a little bit uh, different for a, a, a message about you know, July 4th and independence and the history of our country and the Declaration of Independence and, and that sort of thing. But, but, but I wanna start actually with the Great Commission because I think sometimes we have a, a distorted view of the Great Commission. We tend to think that the Great Commission is just about saving souls. And so we assume that when somebody you know, walks the aisle and gives their life to the Lord, we're done. When in fact, let's take a look at what the Great Commission actually says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So what's the Great Commission really about? Making disciples, training disciples. And the good news is that God gave us this incredible word that, that has all of the answers for everything that we're facing. And, and, and you may say, well, Rick, you're, you're too optimistic. You're, you're too joyful. I mean, look at what's happened over the last year. 47 of 50 governors have acted like dictators. We, we, we've shut down people and, and we've violated every piece of the Bill of Rights that you possibly could. We've stopped freedom of speech. We've stopped freedom of the press. We've stopped freedom of assembly. We, we, we violated people's ability to even sing in church. I mean, all of these things that we've done, have you forgotten all, all of those things happened? Yeah, no, no, I know, I know they happened, but, but I also realize that they have, all of this tyranny that's happened in our country has in many ways been like a shining light for the first time Americans are realizing there is rot in our culture underneath. Now, you may say, well, thanks for, for coming and depressing us today. Um, uh, so I'm gonna try to find a balance between the two, but I'm just here to tell you the real, the real virus in America is, is not these tyrannical governors. It's, it's, it's not an actual virus. The real virus has been festering underneath for decades. And it's biblical and civic ignorance. By not knowing what God's instruction manual has for us with how we should treat each other and not knowing the history of our nation, we have allowed our leaders to move our nation from one of freedom to one of tyranny in so many ways. And it's our own fault. We love to blame the politicians. We love to blame Sacramento or blame Washington, D.C. But at the end of the day, what's the first three words of our Constitution? We the people. So at the end of the day, we are responsible for what we see in our leaders. And so that's the way I want to approach this today. And I, and I do want to take an, an optimistic but very, very practical approach. But let's just look at it this way. A lot of people uh, in America, they, they don't want to be told what to do. They, they, they don't want... Um, anybody to, to, to try to dictate to them what the boundaries might be in terms of how they live out their freedom. And, and we're kind of like, we're, we're a little bit like, you know, when my, my, when my wife and I got a, a new truck, and I say my wife and I, it's really her truck. I'm gonna show you a picture of it. It's a beautiful truck. It's a, it's a Dodge Ram. There we go. There it is. Oh, wait, come back here. Come back here. There we go. One more. There we go. Okay, so that's our beautiful Dodge Ram truck. Okay, now I say it's ours, but it's really hers. Okay, and once in a while she lets me drive it. But we're driving off the lot when we got this new truck. And she's driving, of course, because it's her truck. And I'm sitting over there in the passenger seat and I open up the glove box. And guess what I found in the glove box? That manual. That's right. That's, that instruction manual. And, 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 and the instruction manual is made. I, I'm, I'm sure there's some retired English teachers in here that'll help me with this. It's made by whom? I don't know if I'm supposed to say whom or who. You know, I always, I always try to dangle a participle to thrill the retired English teachers, you know, because retired English teachers don't get many thrills. So I, I, I but, but, but I, I don't know if that's whom or who, but anyway, who made that instruction manual in that pickup truck? 
the builder, the creator, the, the manufacturer, the one that designed it, the one that knows how the truck works. And they gave it to us so that we would get the most out of our truck, so that we would, it would last the longest, it would run the best, all of those things. So they gifted us, the creator of the truck gifted us with this instruction manual with all the answers for how to operate our truck. But being a, a typical child of the 80s American, I roll down the window and I say, ain't nobody gonna tell me how to take care of my truck. It's my truck. Throw the manual out the window. We pull in to fill the truck up on our way home. Kara says, you know, we bought a gas truck, so she starts to pull up next to the gas pump. I say, no, 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 baby. No, no, today, I feel like a diesel. And ain't nobody gonna tell me how to take care of my truck, so pull over there by that diesel pump. We're filling this sucker up with diesel. How far do you think I'm getting out of that driveway? Not too far before it turns into a Chevy and breaks down. That's what's gonna happen right there. So. Because we didn't listen to the creator. We didn't listen to the manufacturer. Same thing in our lives. God's given us the instruction manual for life. The creator of you knows how your brain works, knows your emotions, knows how your body works, knows how relationships work, and how government should work. And so he gave us this instruction manual with all of the answers. And America was built on that instruction manual and the reason that America became the most powerful, most free, wealthiest, most benevolent nation in the history of the world is because we followed the instruction manual. Did we get it right every time? No. Did we have failures and sin from the beginning? Yes. But because we were studying the word of God, we kept applying the word of God and kept becoming a more perfect union. For the last 50 years, we've thrown the instruction manual out the window. And we said, we're gonna do what feels good. We're gonna do whatever we think is right. We're gonna do whatever we want to do instead of following what the master gave us. And uh, Noah Webster gave us some pretty, pretty uh, good advice for today. He basically said, all the miseries, oops, keeps taking off on me. One more back, there we go. All the miseries and evils which men suffer from vice, crime, ambition, injustice, oppression, slavery, and war proceed from their despising or neglecting the precepts contained in the Bible. All of the problems that we face in society is because we've thrown the instruction manual out the window and we're not following God's instruction on that. And if we did, we would experience the benefits of living by the instruction manual. And in our system, I love the way you were saying that because in our system, in this country that we've been put in, we are Caesar. See, we don't, we don't, we're not growing up in, a, in the first century in Rome, right? We're not in the same system that Jesus was in at the time, but when he said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God's, for us to apply that command in our nation where we've been born, that means we've got a, not just a right, but a responsibility to be Caesar. You are Caesar. Not the president, not, not, not the Congress, not the, not the governor, thank goodness in California, but, but you are Caesar. And that's, that's why we have to start thinking like that and we gotta start saying, I'm responsible for my government, which means I need to start paying attention to what's happening and I need to start doing my duty and participating in this process. So that's, that's what we're gonna talk about is how do we as biblical individuals act like biblical citizens? How, how do we actually take that instruction manual and say, okay, how do I do this correctly with regard to my nation? Because for too long in the church, we've separated the two. We've said, well, if I'm gonna be a good Christian, good and holy and all that good stuff, then I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna go into that, that arena because politics is nasty business. We've separated it as if God's word doesn't apply to it. I doubt you've ever driven away from the church here and said, man, pastor was on fire today. That was a great sermon about how to be a good husband, good father, a good mother, 
good wife. I wish when I got home that I could apply that. But there's a separation of home and church. Nobody in here has done that, right? I hope you haven't, right? Nobody in here has walked away or walked out of here, gotten in the car, started driving home and said, man, great sermon, all about it, work ethic and, and, and how to honor and serve your employer or if you're the employer, how to treat your employees and how to honor God in those ways and, and be you know, faithful with the talents that God's given you. All that good, I wish I could apply that at work tomorrow. Separation of work and church. Right? Nobody here has ever said that, I hope. But how many times have we heard separation of church and state? How many times have we heard, oh, you can't bring the Bible into government? Oh, you can't bring the Bible into, into the schools? Benjamin Rush was the father of our American public school system, and he said the Bible should be the primary textbook in our schools. He, he, says, he said, I'd rather teach Confucius or Muhammad or some other religion than be secular and teach no religion, but in America, we've chosen to teach Christianity to our children because it is the best religion, and it produces the best citizens, which produces the best society. Those are the founding fathers all the way back to the very beginning. That was, those were the seeds that were planted in the way that we began this nation. Charles Finney was um, speaker in the uh, Great Awakening. I kind of skipped over that slide. I know it looks a little bit, for those of you from the 70s, that's not John Travolta and Staying Alive. Uh, um, that's actually uh, Finney at some, uh, some big uh, sermon. Anyway, he's put it this way. The church, that's us right here, must take right ground in regard to politics. Wait, what? Church and politics together? Think about it. In the country that we've been born, he said, in a country such as this, politics are part of a religion in a country such as this, and Christians must do their duty to their country as a part of their duty to God. He's just simply saying, politics is just like work, home, everything. It's just part of our life. And the instruction manual applies to every part of our life. And so if we have a responsibility as Caesar in our country, then we better be getting informed by the Bible about how to be a good Caesar, a good citizen in our, in our system. He actually goes on to say that God will bless or curse this nation according to the course Christians take in politics. So folks, Christians took no course in politics for decades. We, we removed ourselves from the equation. I wouldn't say God's blessing our nation right now. I'd say we're facing judgment right now. In many, many ways, we are, we are blind as a people. We are living out, Romans one twenty two, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. How much of that do you see right now where people, they can't read the data, they can't, I mean, they, they, it doesn't matter how much truth you put in front of them, they're just blind to it. I think that's judgment. I think that's God's judgment on our, on our nation because we, the church, we as Christians and as Caesar, we step back from that and we let someone else be Caesar in our country instead of us being that, that salt and light. You know, the thing about salt and light is that um, when you're salt, you, you not only do you preserve the meat, you bring out the best flavor, right? And so when the church is being salt in the culture, not only do we preserve the nation and preserve freedom, we bring out the best. The culture becomes the best, becomes the most prosperous, it becomes the most benevolent, helping nations around the world, all of those things. We, we experienced that as a nation for years, but we've reversed course on that. So we've gotta go back to, Oh boy, I'm all over the place here. We gotta go back to that parable right there of the talents. I want you to think about the talent of freedom. I want you to think about this gift that God has given you and then remember the talent, the parable of the talents where you have these three servants who have been given the talents and two of them invested, worked, multiplied the talent. Think about freedom that way. Are we force multipliers? Are we investing in freedom? Are we, are we multiplying? Are we spreading truth? Or are we that other servant that buried the talent? in our case, did nothing with their freedom, didn't participate in the process. And what did the master say when he came back? Wicked and slothful servant. Let's not be the wicked and slothful servant. 
Let's be the faithful servant. Let's make sure that we're doing the best that we can with what we've got where we are and that we're participating in this process. It's actually a biblical command right now in our culture when you look around and you see all the evil um, that's happening in our nation, that for us to be silent, that's sin. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the, in the 1930s in, in Germany, he said that uh, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. When, when we're watching evil take over in our nation and we do nothing, that's sin for us. Because now I would say if we know truth, right? But how do we know truth? We have to be in God's word to know that truth. So the most important thing we can do to be a good Caesar in our nation is be in God's word so that we're pouring that truth into our brains and into our hearts, and then it comes out in the culture. It comes out. We truly become that salt and light. But we have to take this thing seriously. I think not only is it a biblical command, it's just the right thing to do in a, as a way to say thanks to those who made this possible. Right Here we are on, on, on Independence Day, and we're celebrating uh, the birthday of our nation. We're celebrating those precious words in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their... Not their commissioner, not their state rep, not their governor, certainly not their Supreme Court justice. We're endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That means you're in charge. Government can only do what you want it to to do. So we're, we're celebrating that today. We're saying those are good principles. And, and the men that brought that to life when they signed the declaration, they, they, they birthed this nation. And I, and I know I know we've got this, this massive propaganda war going on in our country about who we are as a nation. I know that some of you are sitting here this morning, maybe you're not sure whether you should be proud to, to wave the flag or, 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 or to say I'm proud to be an American and all of those things. And, and, and you've been in many ways lied to about America over the last year, all right? Let me, just, let me just tell you. First of all, I'll tell you this about the founding fathers of America. I've been studying these guys 30 years. Uh, I've read a ton of their writings. I discovered something after a lot of years of studying them. The founding fathers of America were actually human. <laughs> Believe it or not, they were sinners. Believe it or not, some of them did some evil things, just like me, just like you. They were sinners just like us, and somehow, some way, as only God could do it, God used these imperfect men to put in place those precious 56 words I just recited for you. And these imperfect men birthed this nation, they lit the torch of freedom, and then upon those principles, Abraham Lincoln would sign the Emancipation Proclamation, citing that declaration. Did you know that when Abraham Lincoln was on his way to DC, on his way to become president, he stopped at Independence Hall. And he went to Independence Hall, and in Philadelphia at the time, it wasn't really a, I mean, the Liberty Bell literally sat in that room. It was, it was you know, not, not a place that a lot of people did a tour of at the time. And, but he stood there in that room, and he gave a little impromptu speech with a handful of people that were there. And he said that the Declaration of Independence, that those principles would be what we stand upon. And he said, I would rather be assassinated and die than compromise these principles that came from God directly to the people. And of course, four years later, he would, he would be assassinated. But the, those principles in the Declaration, that's what he stood upon. When you listen to or you watch or you read a, a Martin Luther King Jr. speech, he quotes from the Declaration almost as much as he quotes from the Bible. Those principles, by the way, it's Reverend 
Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We often, Alveda King, his niece, she did one of our, our uh, shows with us one time. She always says, everybody forgets that Uncle Martin was a pastor first, right? He and, his, and her dad, A.D. King, they were the sons of thunder. And, 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 they, and they, they learned how to be culture warriors by being biblical citizens. They were taking the Bible and applying it to the culture and they changed the world. Why do you think they were so peaceful? Why do you think Martin Luther King Jr. made you sign a piece of paper before you could march with him that said, I will think like Christ, I will speak like Christ, I will have love in my heart and I will do no violence. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Because he was in God's word. Because he knew that was the only way he was going to change the world. Because, and not just God's word. He was studying Gandhi. He was studying other people that had, 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 had been world changers. And he knew that was the key. And, he, and it worked. And they, and they absolutely changed the world. I don't know how I got off on that. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah. Anyway, so all of this to say the founders were failed. I'm not deifying the founders today, even though we celebrate what they gave us and how God used them to get us to this point. But I know you, you question, you've got to be questioning what's going on in our country. And you've got to be questioning, should I be proud to be an American? So I, I always give my country boy test of whether or not America's worth defending. Okay, if you want to know whether or not America's a great nation, uh, was a great nation, I'm not so sure we still are, and, but I know we can be again, but if you, if you want to know whether or not this is a value system and whether the Declaration of Independence is something that you should celebrate and whether the Constitution of the United States is something that you should defend and, and be proud of, very simple question for you with regard to whether or not America's a place that you want to defend and, and pass on to your kids. Easy question. Are people trying to get in are they trying to get out? We call it. There, there is no perfect system, right? There's no perfect nation. There is no, I mean, in fact, Benjamin Franklin said a republic is the worst form of government other than every other one. Because this side of heaven, this is about as good as it's, it's going to get. But I, I ask that. Are people trying to get in or are people trying to get out? Because it's just a practical way of saying how does America compare to the rest of the world? See, we, we, right now what you've got is that you, you've got this whole movement that is trying to judge America in, the, in, this, in this weird kind of context that forgets world history, right? Forgets the fact that slavery was the condition of every nation on the planet and that you had black on black slavery, black on white slavery, white on black slavery, white on white slavery, and every other combination you can possibly think of. And nobody right now, unless you take our biblical citizenship in modern America course, nobody right now is talking about the fact that America was the first nation, first nation to ban the slave trade. We beat England by three weeks. Nobody, and, and, and no, nobody's talking about the fact that we were the fourth nation to end slavery. 600,000 sacrificed to make that happen. Fourth nation on the, right now, if you've only been watching the news, your perception is probably that America had to be drug across the finish line last, that we didn't want to get rid of it. In fact, a United States Senator, Ivy League educated United States Senator stood on the floor of the United States Senate last year and said that America invented slavery. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the Old Testament, I like the story of this little guy named Joseph. And I remember his brother selling him into something. What was, they sold him into, what was that? I think on the timeline, that happened before 1776. Just a little bit. In fact, I remember that somehow, some way, 400 years later, the children of Israel were taken out of Egypt and led by Moses out of 
wow, I think that was before 1776. What's my point? My point is that it's a human condition. It's evil. It is sinful. And because we had pastors in America preaching against it, we finally got rid of and that scourge from our nation. But it would not have happened if it had not have been for the biblical worldview that continued to move our nation towards a more perfect union. So now, remind me what time I need to finish. Okay, okay, all right, so, 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 so now we gotta say, okay, look, all this history happened, and now what do I do with it? And I, and I mentioned we've got a biblical command to do something with this, right? But we've also owe it to those who came before us. And, and, and I, I, this kind of burden, I think, that we should, we should have, a, a, we should feel a sense of a burden to preserve this based on the sacrifice that came before. For me, that was a, a real wake-up call when I was, I was sitting at Ronald Reagan's last public speech. It was 1994, it was on his birthday, it was in uh, Washington, D.C., and, and, and we're waiting on the president to come out, Margaret Thatcher was there speaking as well, and, and as we're waiting on him to come out, there was a big screen playing some of Reagan's greatest speeches, and they played the one that he gave atop the cliffs there, Pointe de Hoc, France, Pointe de Ho, whatever the right way to say it is. And, and this was the, 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 when D-Day started, and, and, and this, these cliffs where we believed that they had their largest enemy guns, we were trying to take out those cliffs so that we could land on the beaches of Normandy and, and uh, begin that whole, basically the, the, the greatest assault ever and, and what would begin to not only liberate that one area, but literally to free an entire continent. And so here we, here we are, the, the Rudder's Rangers, 225 of these guys, they take these cliffs. Well, Reagan, on the 40th anniversary, he's standing atop the cliffs. And the, and the Ranger Dagger Monument is, is behind him. I thought I had a picture, but I don't. But anyway, the Ranger uh, Dagger is behind him. And seated around him at the time were about 15 or 20 of these guys that were still alive. Now, of the 225 that took those cliffs, only 90 survived the mission. So here he is. He's got about 15 or 20 of these guys. He's, he's recounting what happened that day. He's taught, I mean, he's, he, all the horrific yet heroic events. And, and, and I remember, I'm sitting there in my tuxedo, I'm watching this speech on the, on the screen, and I remember as they're showing the speech, then the camera goes out and it pans these tough old army rangers that were sitting around Reagan as he's giving the speech. Every one of them, tears in their eyes. Every one of them taken back to those days of sacrifice. And, and, I, and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about, I'm 22 years old, I've never thought about the price of my freedom. I never thought about what other people did so that I could even be sitting in that room that night. My dad's with me. He's on my left. The guy on my right was Gentleman George McCormick. He was a bomber pilot in World War II. He, he was a great patriot, great American. And I remember I just happened to look over at Mr. McCormick, and, and, and there in his tuxedo at this big fancy dinner as Reagan's taking us back. I mean, he's just got tears running down his face. And for me, for the first time, not reading about it in a textbook, but for the first time it was personal. This guy was willing to go around the world and lay down his life, willing to die for me. I wasn't even alive yet, but he was willing to make sure that two generations later, I'd be able to sit at that dinner, that I'd be able to stand here and speak freely, that we'd be able to worship God however we choose. He was willing to die so that I could be free. And that's when I started going out and giving speeches about being proud to be an American. I started becoming a student of freedom. I said, I wanna know how we got it, how we preserve it, how we protect it. Maybe most importantly, how do we pass it to the next generation? And, and people back then, man, that was before 9-11. That was before patriotism, once again, would, would be popular in our country. And, 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 I, and people would look at me like I was corny when i talk about being proud of being American. They'd come up afterwards and, and, and say, you know, Americans, so what? I mean, what's the big deal? Why are we better than anybody else's? 
Now, usually when someone says something like that to me, I, I, I try to be polite and diplomatic, you know, but as, as a legislator, I used to get a lot of hate mail. I was the God and Guns guy in the Texas legislature, and so a lot of people sent me hate mail. I had a form letter I figured out I could send back to them. You might want to use this when you get hate mail. It just said, dear sir or ma'am, I thought you should know that, that some idiot stole your letterhead. And he's, he's writing asinine letters on it and signing your name, and I thought you'd probably want to know. I mean, that just seemed to take care of the. You know, now that I say that out loud, baby, that's probably why I'm no longer a legislator in, uh, in Texas. Um, anyway, no, but, but somebody standing right in front of me says American. So what I finally asked questions, why do you think we call the last century the great American century? Friends, we saved the world, not once or twice, three times from the evils of Nazism, communism, and despotism. We're the only people ever in history to hold a technological advantage in war and not use it for conquest. Instead of taking the bomb in 1945 and conquering every nation on the planet, we took our money, we went and rebuilt the nations that had attacked us, and we exported freedom around the world. That is a story never told before. That is a story that never happened before in history. Why? Because you go all the way back to the beginning and biblical values were what were planted in our nation so that we would say freedom is not, I didn't come up with freedom. Freedom comes from God and therefore I have a responsibility to export that and be a reflection of that to other people. So how do we honor those who sacrifice so much like Mr. McCormick, like many of you in this room? Well, Lincoln answered that for us. One of the best ways to honor those who sacrificed for us, he said it's from, this is the Gettysburg Address, he said it's from these honored dead that we take increased devotion to the cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion. That we highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and the government of the people by the people for the people shall not perish from the earth. How do you honor those? who came before us? How do you honor those who gave us a declaration, a constitution? How do you honor those veterans who were willing to die for our freedom and many that did? You have an increased devotion to the cause. What's the cause? It's called American exceptionalism. It's called the American value system. And I know some people think that's bragging when I say American exceptionalism. Now, my mom always told me if, uh, if it's true, it ain't bragging. All right? And listen, I'm a Texan, I know how to brag. I mean, in Texas, we believe there are only two kinds of people, Texans and those that want to be Texans. That's it, all right? Now, that is not true. That's why that is bragging, okay? But this is not bragging. This is just stating a fact, the exception to the rule. In other words, extraordinary, extra not ordinary. In other words, beyond ordinary. In other words, beyond normal, the exception to the rule. That is the American story. It's never happened in history. And by the way, it was a Frenchman that gave us that, that term, American exceptionalism. De Tocqueville comes over here in the 1830s, says the Americans have an exceptional position. It's unbelievable what, what's happening over here. There'll probably never be a, a, a group of people that will have the opportunity. And that's what God did with our nation. He gave us an exceptional, extraordinary story. We were able to export that around the world. And then we just completely forgot who we are and what we did. Reagan, your former governor, put it this way, if we forget what we did, we won't know who we are. A warning of an eradication of the American memory that could result ultimately in an erosion of the American spirit. Is that not what's happened? We don't know what we did as a nation. We don't know how God moved through the nation. And so we've lost our American spirit. We've started, we've taught our children. We're the only nation I know of that has taught its children to hate their own nation to hate each other and to hate themselves. That's what critical race theory does, friends. It's an evil, divisive, Marxist <laughs> philosophy and we've gotta stop it. 
Mike Huckabee puts it this way, history is the culture, what memory is to an individual. Imagine being an individual who's lost his memory, who has amnesia, how confused, how disoriented everything is. Same with culture that's lost its memory. So that's why we're kind of stumbling around right now, trying to figure out who are we as a nation and how do we restore this thing? We've got to go back. Oh yeah, I was gonna tell, I'm just gonna skip that part. So uh, by the way, the, uh, you know, we call it the American dream. You've probably never heard of the North Korean dream. Right? I, I, I doubt you've ever heard of the Cuban dream. The Venezuelan dream? No? None of that? None of that, right? There's a reason it's called the American dream. But here's the problem. We don't have truth in America anymore. Truth is on life support. We, we, have, we have bought the lie that your opinion is more important than the facts and truth that we live by opinion now. I'll just give you a couple of, uh, couple of stats on this. Uh, three in five Amer- Americans believe there is, uh, there is no absolute moral truth. Four in five millennials believe there is no moral absolute truth. And that last one, one in two Christians believe there is no moral absolute truth. I'd say we got a problem in the church, folks, whenever the church doesn't believe in moral absolute truth. So objective truth doesn't seem to matter. Sorry, my... There we go. 80% of Christians believe that religions other than Christianity will get an individual into heaven. So where is truth? If, if God's word is supposed to be absolute truth, does that measure up with God's word? That 80% of Christians would say that you can get to heaven uh, regardless of your religion? Um, 50, 56% of Christians believe that a belief in no religion will get you into heaven. Folks, we are morally bankrupt we don't have that truth, and that's why the culture is suffering, because we don't have the truth. We can't be salt and light. So it begins with us. We have to start loving truth. Um, in fact, I think I'm going to, I know I'm getting close to my time, right? We got another service coming. So um, let me just give you one, one verse, and then I'll, I'll close this thing out. So in Second Thessalonians, they did not receive the love of truth, and for this reason, God sent them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. They all might be damned who believed not the truth. So if you don't love truth, if you reject truth, then delusion enters. Think about what's happening in the culture right now. Both, both with the whole COVID thing being so blown out of, out of proportion that, that, that we've done all the idiotic things that we're doing. I, 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 we're the most highly educated idiots in history. It's just, there's no, no question about it. But not, not only the COVID thing, but also just the division, the, the, the lack of, of knowledge about our, our history, all those things, lack of biblical knowledge. So we don't love truth, we don't, and then we reject truth. So then this delusion enters. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And so then once the delusion enters, we start believing that lie, And then once we believe that lie, we act on the lie. And then when we act on the lie, we get high cost and consequence, all right? So we've been acting on lies in our culture and we're now living with the cultural decay and the rot. But the good news is that because of what's happened over the last year, I think God's revealing that to us, right? And once you realize that what's been festering underneath has created this decay and this rot, well, then you can bring in the disinfectant, right? You can bring in the, so the sunlight can be the disinfectant. The truth can then be sown into the culture. So let me skip over a couple of these things. If we will speak truth, if we will seek truth, sorry, guys, I'm gonna, there we go. Yeah, your personal opinion doesn't matter. Let me just tell you. Um, <laughs> believing a lie always causes pain. I'm trying to get, there we go. Okay, only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. We now believe so much more in personal opinion. Only 9%, though, of Christians read the Bible daily. That's what I want to zero in on. Okay, so if we know that truth 
results in good, gives you good results in the culture. If, if we know truth and we know that God's word has answers for how to treat each other, how to form a society, what kind of people to vote for? Did you know the Bible speaks to that? Able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, right? If we know those things, if we know that truth, then we can be salt and light. But we, the church, don't know truth right now. As an overall body of Christ, we don't. Now, I know you guys are speaking and teaching truth. I know that you guys are studying truth. We've got to start challenging our fellow believers all over the country to get into God's Word. If only 9% are reading the Word daily, how in the world can we know truth? So normally, I'm up here telling you, and, and I do absolutely believe you need to be voting, you need to be studying candidates, you need to be involved, some of you need to run for office. Normally, that's what I talk about. Lives, fortune, sacred honor, doing those things. But right now, I just feel like it's so important for us to back up and say, the most important thing I can do to be a good Caesar, good citizen, is be in God's word. To know his truth. I am not, I am not in any way saying, don't be involved politically. In fact, I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying be involved politically, but know truth when you go into that arena, and the only way you're gonna get there is studying God's word. We came out just a few weeks or a couple of months, well, six months now, um, uh, with this new course, Biblical Citizenship in Modern America. And we take you through God's word applied to being a citizen, and we take you through the Constitution and how to be a good citizen in our country. On Monday night nights, we do the course for free online. We've got a national class with 25,000 people in it. Kirk Cameron's in there with us, and David Barton, Tim Barton, Rabbi Lappin, Matt Staver, all these warriors. Pastor Jack Hibbs, all these people. So if you want to understand biblical truth about being a citizen, get into one of those classes. Now, I don't have the DVDs out here, uh, but you can go on, online. The class is free, actually, if you just want to take the class online or you want to be one of our coaches. As Mike was mentioning, we've got these coaches all over the country. Just bring three people into your home and, and, and share with them and encourage each other and get into God's word and how it applies to the country. Friends, I am, I am not a the glass is half, you know, empty person. I'm a half full kind of guy. I'm a glass, I'm an optimist. But I truly believe our nation is at the precipice right now. There is nothing that guarantees America is going to survive. In fact, historically, 250 years is when great nations like ours fall apart. We're just five years away, folks. We're five years away and we see the culture crumbling. It's crumbling all around us. But we can look at that rubble that's on the ground right now and we can say, it's all done, it's over with, I'm, I'm gonna run away and hide, I'm gonna be like the 10 spies that came back from the promised land. It's too hard, giants are too big, buildings are too fortified, cities are too fortified, we can't take it. We can be like them and run away and depress the people, and then a generation has to die in the wilderness, or we can be like Joshua and Caleb, the other two spies. We can look at that. We can look at that rubble and we can start picking up the pieces and rebuilding. But we gotta know truth. Joshua and Caleb weren't Pollyanna. They didn't, they didn't gloss over it and say, no, it's not that bad, we can do it. They said, yeah, the giants are huge. They said, yeah, the buildings are fortified, but God has given us the land. Let's go take the land. That's the attitude we gotta have. So if you wanna, if you wanna take America back, if you want America to be restored, if you want us to be a constitutional republic once again, if you wanna pass freedom to your kids and grandkids, the number one thing, that I challenge you to do is daily get into God's word and say, God, teach me. What do I need to know about how to be salt and light in the culture? If we'll do that, we can restore this country. That's the great challenge for the church today. Get back to the basics. It's like spring training for all you baseball players out there. I don't care how good you are. You can be the best ball player in the world. 
every year you go to spring training and you start with the basics again. Get back to those fundamental principles. George Mason, one of the framers of the Constitution, he said that, that no free government nor the blessings of liberty can be preserved to any people but by a frequent recurrence to fundamental principles. We need a restoration of fundamental principles, first of all, biblical principles, and then also constitutional and declaration principles. I know you guys are already, I'm preaching to the choir, but friends, I think the choir needs preaching to right now. I think we need this encouragement. We need to sharpen each other's countenance. You guys are blessed to have pastors that know this, that are courageous. You know, last year I was, I was so disappointed in the overall church in America. And, and, and Awaken was a light to churches all over the country, challenged people all over the country. People were able to watch your sermons and your gathering from outside of California and be blessed. So thank you for being godly patriots. Let's go raise up. An, oh, by the way, last thing before I hand it to you, Mike, if you really want this to happen, if you want to be a nation under God, we have to be individuals under God. So that's why, that's why it begins with our studying God's word and us saying, how can I honor you in everything that I do and then go out and be those patriots that's